You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the We Are Libertarians daily podcast. I am your host, Hody Johns. I'm here with your other host, Sarah Brady Wagner. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. You getting the uh, getting everything squared away over there with the uh, with, for those who are watching on video, which you can do for us, by the way. We're yeah. Sorry, few... my camera fell there for a second. Oh yeah, no problem. No problem. We're actually one of the few uh, daily podcasts where you actually get video of our talking heads. because uh, we're pretty. I guess that's what they decided, right? So that's uh, well. I mean. I think it's no small uh, mistake that we had to make sure that it happened once I came on board. Yeah, absolutely. Suddenly things had to get a little bit visual. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure for the, so. <laughs> the Creepertarians, we have to throw them a bone. They're such a big part of the Libertarian Party, right? Oh, let's not talk about them too much. Okay. So, well, what are we going over today, Mr. Hody? Uh, ballot initiatives. And we're going to talk about how they did in different states. I think some wins, some losses as far as Libertarians goes, as well as some, uh, what they call them, poker, like a, uh, a push, you know, where you just kind of say this right. is, this is kind of even. Um, and so, yeah, we're just going to go go through some of the big ones. Uh, again, I'll have a complete list of what we're looking over on the show notes, but uh just some of the major ones, or ma- more more importantly, the ones that we feel like talking about, because I guess it, it matter of importance is going to be up to everybody's opinion. Um, is there one you want to start on, Sarah? Well, there were a number of, I know a topic that's fairly popular with our listeners is uh, and libertarians in general, is there were a, fair, a good number of uh, marijuana initiatives on the ballot in a few different states. Yep. Uh, in a couple of states, it looked like they had a diff- couple of different versions, even. Yes. Uh, I'm here out here in Utah, and so we had one for specifically uh, uh, medical marijuana. So we're not on the the, the recreational train yet. Uh, in fact, we're not quite there. We're probably a little bit far from it. We passed. Uh, we actually passed the medical marijuana by fifty four percent. Very contentious in our state. It's uh, obviously being Utah. There's some worry there. The funny thing is the opponent said, well, it's already legal to get, you know, cannabis oil and, and you know, the medical CBD. prescription. Yeah, CBD, medical prescription for marijuana. Uh, but you're not allowed to sell it here. <laughs> so it's like, well, what good does that prescription do then if I'm allowed to have it, but nobody's allowed to sell it to me. So finally, some places are going to be allowed to sell it. Obviously state, you know, uh, state, state uh, run or heavily mandated places, which is libertarians. We're still not a big fan of, but at least it's a step in the right direction for us. Uh, Almost all of the people voting against that were just worried it was going to become recreational. So, unfortunately, I know that if it were a recreational bill, there's no way we would have considered it. But we'll take a win out here in Utah as far as weed goes. Um, other states looking at it were, uh, let's see, in North Dakota, they actually slammed down rejectional marijuana. Um, Missouri had three different um, proposals to vote on. They had two of different constitutional amendments. Uh, one which was for medical marijuana and veteran health care services. That one passed. The one that did not pass was medical marijuana and biomedical research and drug development institute initiative. And there was also a proposal C, 
which uh, included education, drug treatment, and public safety in addition to the veterans' health care and medical marijuana. But I found it interesting that in that state, it was um, much easier to address the topic from a veteran's perspective. You know, we have a lot of research now showing how effective medical marijuana is in treating PTSD or at least in helping people to cope with the symptoms. Um, and that's a, a winning topic amongst voters, it looks like. Well, that, and that goes one step further. That's very insightful because that's, that helps us to say if we're going to market this in other states, perhaps Utah in the future to say, let's look at it from the standpoint of, you know, veterans perspective. I, I think my biggest thing with, with marijuana is, is it's so much better than an opioid. And, I've and this goes for all like as far as the legalize all drugs thing that libertarians are uh, fans of which is starting to cat get some traction. I think I just hate the concept of punishing good people by trying when we try to crack down on bad people cuz I I get that some people if you can call them bad people but some people are going to abuse drugs no matter what we do. I, I, and and we try, we create a black market for it, we create a cartel for it, um, and we make it more expensive for good people to get a hold of their drugs as well as more inconvenient. You know, mm -hmm. even out here in Utah, the rhetoric, I just, I didn't like the rhetoric even though it passed because it was always like, don't worry, we'll force them to go to a, to a hospital every month, we'll force them to pay these extra markups, we'll force them to pay these extra things, so don't worry. We'll add it. a whole bunch of levels of coercion force in order to allow people to have this freedom that we think would probably help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, this, this stuff that we thought would, would, you know, the, I mean, it makes it more palatable for people and granted I wanted mm -hmm. it to pass. So obviously we do what we have to do as far as tac tactics go. But at some point the rhetoric needs to get to the point where we say, you know what? Good people should just be able to buy this and grow it themselves that they want it. Well, they should just be able to pick it up at the store and not worry, not have to, inconvenience themselves because they're so worried about bad people getting a hold of it. Right. You know, I think it's a good example of um, baby steps as opposed to Michigan is a great example of a more radical um, perspective where they actually passed a complete legalization initiative. So um, they didn't go one step and then another. They just went ahead and legalized across the board. Uh, the other state that looked at it was also Oklahoma, and for them, they uh, approved a medical marijuana legalization. There you go. So we're moving in a libertarian direction on all those. Those actually were the last two states on my my list that I had to get a hold of there. Um, one that's always popular between you and I, because we've talked about it pretty fre frequently, and uh, <laughs> always get a lot of feedback from our listeners about this one way or the other, is uh, felons' rights, and uh, in this case, voting rights. Um, it was on a few different ballots, um, Florida being the one that I saw that was that was quite notable to say that that uh, criminals could have their their voting rights restored to them. Now, uh, I'm sure they could hear it on one of our other episodes, but why is this such an important thing, Sarah? Well, so in addition to all of the just disparities in our um, criminal justice system that we already know about and are difficult to address kind of retroactively, felon disenfranchisement is uh, its a vestige of, of slavery. And it, in the most basic sense, it's not good for uh, reintroducing people who have convicted, been convicted of committing crimes into society. So the Florida initiative uh, very simply allows uh, 
felons to have their voting rights restored once their sentences are served. That still leaves one state, uh, which is Virginia, which will still require you to go and get your voting resta- your voting rights restored independently through the governor. But, you know, it's a big deal. It restores over, oh gosh, I, oh, I lost the number. Do you have the number of how many um, felons will have their voting rights restored under this law? No, but it's not a small amount. It was uh, because it's, it was it, over. yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. And now I think here's the thing is opponents use that number and say, well, look at all these felons that are going to get their rights restored. And then uh, there's an interesting myth that comes up with that, which is, well, this is just a democratic push because all of these voters are going to vote democratic. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in states that do have felon um, reenfranchisement laws, that's really not the case. You know, you might assume that they would go to the Democratic Party for I don't really understand what reason, because both parties are not particularly friendly to um, convict rights. Yep. But, it, you know, it what it does is it gives people a step to become more involved in their communities and in civic life. It gives people their voice back. And and this is very and I think the Republicans and Democrats are going to try to claim victory or, or foolery one way or the other. But one point four million, one point four million get their voting rights restored. But this is this is something that I think is uniquely a victory for Libertarian more so than the other two parties, because Libertarians. <laughs> We frequently have these victimless crime problems, victimless, you know, that create felons, right? Over 80% of, of felons have, are part of victimless crime. And so I think more so than Republican or Democrat, and don't get me wrong, they could end up voting Republican or Democrat, but these are people who have already violated the state and are irritated that they violated the state. And so these are definitely potential libertarian voters. You know, they, they've yeah. had the personal experience of saying the state is discriminating against me for hurting nobody. And I'm upset, and we want them in a in a voting booth if we can as libertarians. I've always thought it was interesting that the people who um, you know are often prevented from having a say in how the government force is used are those people who have actually experienced it themselves. Right, and and w- one more thing, just because I know it's going to come up. Um, with somebody is there is a limit to what people can vote on. They're not going to vote to rob, st- make robbing places legal. I think that's the right. worry a lot of time when you, they're going to, they're going to vote to do something bad and make it legal because we've restored their voting rights. Not only that, but I mean, just look at, I mean, you have to just look at statistics at that point hmm. is that if the majority of your population wants to make is, is of a criminal enough mind that they want to make, you know, robbery and murder legal you know i I think you have much deeper cultural issues than whether or not uh you're allowing felons to have their voting rights right you made the point earlier that we have to look at our state constitutions and i i think that that's something that we do have to look at because some things can get i mean they could potentially get enough signatures to to put up an initiative but it'll get thrown out uh in the courts so so there is some limitation there uh one of the ones that I actually wanted to look at next was was some of these tax laws. Uh, there's a millionaire tax in Massachusetts that made it to the ballot, but it was already ruled unconstitutional at the state level, and so it didn't it didn't survive. It made it to the ballot. You could vote yes to pass it or no to pass it, but it was never going to pass because they put something unconstitutional on it, and therefore, it, and then it got defeated. 
you know, uh, we have we actually have this. There's always a post wave of legislation that comes after these ballot initiatives, because both in the judicial part to say, well, we put it up there, but was it legal? California had that with the uh, when they banned uh, homosexual marriage, had it almost immediately overturned at the state level and then overturned at the federal level when they tried to ban it by saying, well, I we hear you. I understand you put this forward, but that's not going to fly here. So the the legislation and judicial system now. There's going to be some libertarian concern there by saying, like, well, if the legislators can just override the people, uh, isn't that frightening? I think more importantly, it's the Constitution saying you can't. And this is what protects us from mob rule, right? The 51% eating 49%. Right. Well, you know, let's let's talk there. um, I know on taxes, there were a a slew of um, different constitutional amendments and measures to limit taxes but before we get to those i just want to touch on one other um constitutional amendment in louisiana that requires now a um unanimous jury for um convictions of uh, crimes of felonies because that wasn't a requirement in louisiana before and that could be the single biggest uh i i, th- I think as far as the national perception goes that was probably the biggest ballot initiative in any state and because of I mean, Jim Crow legislation, uh, Jim Crow makes it sound racist. And I guess you can argue about how racist it is because it doesn't have race in the specifics of the legislation. However, the bill, uh, the, what they finally stopped doing, and I did not know this, but it explains their huge incarceration rate down there is you only needed for a criminal case. You only needed a majority. To you needed 12, 10 out of 12. 10 out of 12 to convict, as opposed to needing it unanimous. So why is that Jim Crow legislation? Give, give us some of that, because I know this is one of the things that you're passionate about. What, what, what is either the history there, or, or why is it important that this has changed? So when we refer to things as Jim Crow legislation, you know, I, I know it kind of causes a little bit of, of feelings around that, but it really, the reason it seems like it has to do with racism is because it, it kind of does. That's that's the origin of Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow laws were created after slavery was abolished, after, um, you know, uh, black people were given full rights of citizenship, but uh, in the South, there were a number of legislatures that when they rewrote their state constitutions after, um, after the civil rights era, especially, they did so with, a specific intention to write in laws that were not explicitly racial, but that would allow them to control and keep, uh, basically keep entire uh, classes of people, particularly black people, um, still in the same roles socially. So another thing that kind of dovetails with this is most states also allow um, slave labor legally uh, under the federal constitution and under most state constitutions as long as it is convict labor. And in uh, Louisiana in particular, the way that this whole system was set up was um, you just had to get somebody to arrest a black person of a crime. You only had to have tw- 10 out of 12 jurors, which were often all white juries, to convict them of whatever crime you had them arrested of. And then once they are convicted, they are, you can, uh, legally lease convict labor for farm work and for things that, frankly, slave labor used to be used for. Uh, and over time, we have slowly disassembled these laws and these systems, but this is a perfect example that even in 2018, 
this kind of last vestige of Jim Crow was still in the Louisiana state constitution to make it easier to give uh, unsavory people and whole classes of individuals um, make it easier to strip them of their rights and to literally enslave them in a way that was still okay under the letter of the law. Right. This 10 out of 12 majority to convict was not done out of out of trying to keep our streets any safer. This is there is a financial motive here, and uh, that's why they were protected by the Jim Crow laws to say, well, you know, we get we get more people on that system, and that's more free labor for us. Uh, Louisiana is not the only one who has. When sometimes you read these these uh, states, uh, slavery is still legal in a lot of states. Uh, Colorado actually had it on the ballot in 2016, and struck down the bill, meaning they kept slavery as a form of punishment. And like you said, it's mostly for prisoners and which is why it sticks around because people don't can, they don't think of prisoners as I, I, I wouldn't say people, but they don't think of them as equal participants in society. And so they don't mind punishing them a little harder. Uh, I want to be fair to the people who, who, and, and we do have listeners that, that are concerned about, about felons running rampant, but this is this is one of those things to say. This just creates more felons. Yeah, it really it depends on if you want if what your goal is is to create a safer society and to make it so that you know people are able to interact with each other without worrying about those things. This is something that you would want. You want to have a justice system that um, upholds the actual rule of law, where you do require a unanimous decision. Otherwise, you're creating more felons and you're essentially cheapening what the whole concept means. I mean, once you, once you fill the ranks of what it means to be a felon with nonviolent offenders who are just there because of drug laws, well, then it's really easy for us to consider that felons aren't that bad because felons are not just people who commit violent crimes against others. Right. And and that's something that I think we as libertarians just need to hammer home because I think more and more, you know, even I hear, hear the term felon and I'm like, oh my gosh, what did they do? And I find out that literally over 80% of the time it didn't affect anybody except themselves. Yeah. Uh, in fairness to Colorado, just to wrap that up, they actually did get rid of the slavery this this time, not in 2016, but this time. So uh, you can't be a slave in Colorado anymore. Uh we promised uh, taxes. Now, there's tax, I feel like, in every state, every legislature. So, I guess I want to talk like a little more broadly about it. We can talk about some of the specific states um, and what they were looking at. But uh, think about it applying to, I guess, your state when we talk about it. Uh, they had a carbon tax in Washington state um, that actually was struck down. Um and this is one of those that I think is hopeful for libertarians. And this is one of the things that I've felt personally for libertarians for a long time. I feel like libertarians are going to win eventually. I know you've, if you've listened to our other podcasts, there's a lot of doom and gloom about how the libertarians did. And yeah, as far as candidates, we did not do as well as we wanted to. But I feel like people have a limit to how much they're going to take. And I think at some point, especially with Washington State, they said, we're having employment problems. We passed this. We're going to have more employment problems. That's our line. 
we're not going to do it anymore to say that, you know, cause carbon, I mean, you exhale carbon and ultimately that that's so, so there's a tax on number of people you hire. There's also a tax of course on pollution. Now, now pollution is one of those that I think we need to protect ourselves with property rights and say, you don't have the right to pollute my air, but there's an amount of carbon that is not harmful and especially size and scope. I would also emphasize that the majority of carbon actually doesn't affect the industrial stuff like uh like the smokestacks that you see the majority of carbon actually comes from farmland and rural areas and so this is something that punishes uh, a lot of gdp based things it's very expensive it's very pricey and so when washington state looked at it they looked at the problem they had i have no doubt in an ordinary election year washington state would have approved the measure but they're having such problems I and mean, we've seen seattle with the minim- minimum wage and everything with with unemployment that i think finally they said that's our limit we're not going to apply this tax anymore. Um, and, and so I think that that's, that for me provides hope for libertarians because I think you say, wow, this is, so there is a limit to what people are going to take for their own personal suffering. Uh, I, I guess to help the state, obviously statists don't think about it that way as far as helping the state. They think about it as doing the right thing, but they say there's only so much suffering I'm going to take before I get before I stop believing that this is the right thing anymore, haven't we heard enough people trying to do the right thing? Um, I don't know. Is there any tax you wanted to look at? Well, there were several states who just put forward a, a straightforward uh, cap on um, taxes. My state was one of them. Yes. Uh, we lowered our maximum income tax from 10% down to 7%, so, which doesn't actually do anything because we're currently at 5.25%. Uh, but it means it, it limits how much they could go in the future. Um, other, let's see, a couple of other states. Um, Florida passed a permanent cap to uh, 10% on annual non homestead parcel assessments. Uh, that was just actually a cap that was set to expire. They went ahead and decided to continue it. Good. Um, and Washington, surprisingly, they decided to prohibit local governments from enacting taxes on groceries. A lot of grocery taxes on this one, and and they were about split. But yeah, Washington actually, uh, again, I think because of the economy situation there, I think that's where their limit was. Um, There was two educational ones, and this is another one that I think is a positive for, for libertarians. We spend more of our money in the educational system than any other country in the world by a lot. Now, it's funny because if you look online, you find two sets of numbers. You find how much we're spending on education, and then you find how much like we spend like per student. And per student, we're like fourth. And education, we got like four times what everybody else has. So it, you can get a little bit nit- nitpicky with the numbers, but the, ultimately, we pour so much in the system and very little actually on the students themselves, and very little gets to the teachers. So I. I don't like as a libertarian that I, it comes off as we hate the teachers. We don't think their salary should increase. Ultimately, the money we pour into there isn't going to the teachers. You know, we don't have the highest paid teachers in the world in spite of the highest paying education system in the world. You know, right. we don't spend the most money on our students, even though we pour the most money into it. Huge amounts of concern there. And again, this is a libertarian win in the two states where it popped up, uh, which is Oklahoma. And I'm scrolling. I'm sorry. But anyway, in the two states where they, where they popped up, they were rejected to say, you're not going to spend more. I'm sorry. That's enough. And 
ultimately the state will always respond with, guess we're going to have to fire our teachers when we know for a fact that's not even close to their biggest expense. Right. That's not their biggest fat. And I think the, the voters are finally going to call their bluff on it. Um, now, there, there may come a situation where they actually do decide to lay off some teachers, but that's on them. And ultimately, as a voter, you can't, say, you can't enable their reckless spending just because they might they have the power to do something terrible to people. Uh, if we keep enabling their reckless spending, then, then so it goes. Don't get me wrong. If it came down to a bill which said you have to spend X amount on the teachers, you have to spend X amount on the students, I'd be on board with it. I'm not much of – obviously, I believe in the free market. You know, we need mm-hmm. to free this up. But in the meantime, that's probably something I would support is making sure teachers get paid the same amount. But that's never how these bills pop up because the people that push them forward want their pay cut. And they say, let's increase spending on education. And and they cite the teachers in out-of-date textbooks, but it never seems to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm I'm heartened that, and I'm sure it's, again, this is not libertarians passing it, but people voting like libertarians, which makes me think that, that there is some hope for the, that direction in our country. Well, um, not to get you down too much, but yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take you, take that enthusiasm away with two, um, minimum wage increases. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Missouri and Arkansas, which is impressive and actually somewhat surprising mm-hmm. because those are not generally considered, uh, the most progressive states. Right. Uh, both decided to raise their income or so their minimum wage. Missouri um, raised it to twelve dollars, and Arkansas. Let me give me a second to click, and I'll tell you how much they raised it to. Yeah. Um, but you know, in both of these states, it will be able to see the impact this has um, as far as their economy. Oh, let's see, they raised it to eleven dollars an hour. Okay. And that's that's over the next like several years, right? This tiered thing. Like, um, you've got yeah, time. so it's it's by 2021. So yeah. in a lot of cases, people you know try and make it out to be a doom and gloom thing. This is going to be you know take Im- immediate impact, and mm-hmm. all of these you know businesses are going to close. But it is uh, usually done in a progressive way, and uh, also usually exempts a lot of small businesses. Uh, <laughs> Well, based but that's on, on a state by state basis. And based on the resounding successes they've had in Washington State and California, I'm sure that's what they're looking to when they pass these laws, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, uh, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, facetious. Yeah, yeah, facetious, sarcastic. There, there's, they have a negative impact on the economy. Now, you and I have talked about the wage system before. We've actually looked at the entire wage system before on payments. Uh, and I feel like that's something that needs more sweeping legislation. I feel like when we argue about minimum wage, we're not thinking big enough. Uh, there is absolutely a, an economic system right now that does not benefit workers, but minimum wage laws not only are not the way to do it, they've proven to not be the way to do it. Um, Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell, they've got a really good chapter on this. It, it's like a 700-page economics book, so I don't expect everybody to read it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little summation here that, that anytime we, we do this with minimum wages, it, it not only tends to create homelessness, create unemployment, it does it as a rule. And so, it, it, we, we've never pulled it off in a way – we always think, well, maybe if we do it slowly, maybe if we grade it a little bit, and all we've done is kind of – ease 
the descent into unemployment as opposed to have the unemployment hit all at once. Um, let's see here. We're almost out of time, but I did want to get your take on two more surprise votes for me. And this is two states that voted. Uh, I'm cutting through a lot of tape here, but saying if, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, they will outlaw abortion. And that's Alabama and West Virginia. Um, both voted for that. Now, te- that's not what the the script of the law actually says, because Roe v. Wade is actually protected by privacy, saying, well, you know, we'd have to invade your home to find out if you're pregnant right. or not. We'd have to regulate all this. I think it's, prob- it's a very appropriate way to, I, I wouldn't say legalize abortion, but, but you got to understand if we if we illegalize abortion, there is some invasion What's of privacy. In yes, we have to suddenly regulate a lot of things. So, what what do you take on this by saying if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, we're illegalizing abortion? Well, in West Virginia, I thought it was interesting the way that West Virginia did it. They they just passed a constitutional kind of clarification. Okay, that they they you do not have a right to abortion in uh, West Virginia. Right. So, in theory, if so the the risk of overturning Roe versus Wade is basically just introducing an alternative interpretation. Um, so right now the interpretation is that um, the state does not have a, a vested interest in it until the child reaches a, a viable age, which a lot of the a lot of the arguments in the courts right now are really just trying to push back what we consider to be the viable age, which medicine is constantly pushing back. Right. Um. But so this would basically say that um, if if there was a ruling to give more freedom to the states to allow the states to decide this, mm-hmm. they're just proactively saying there you have no constitutional claim here. But it's not necessarily the same as automatically outlawing it. Yeah. Um, so you would have to still go through those extra steps, which is is kind of encouraging. But I mean. West Virginia, I have been to several times and don't have a whole lot of faith that they wouldn't <laughs> do that in a heartbeat. Sure. But I mean, that, that really is, it comes down to, you know, how much you invest in states' rights ideologically. Um, yeah. People have more ability to move between states than they do, say, between countries. So there is a little bit more validity to say, well, if you don't like the way your state is, you can leave. I'm not saying that that's a good argument that you should use. But it's a little bit more valid when you're talking about states than it is when you're talking about a country. And one of the things that really makes America work is that we allow different states to embrace different um, governing ideologies and to test out different things and experiment. Yeah, I think it's it's food for thought. And it's something that's worth uh, just debating with your friends. I think, you know, just giving you a little knowledge of what happened on the ballot and something something to for our listeners to talk about. Well, um, one other thing that I just wanted to, to mention, and actually I think may be worth an entire episode in and of itself, uh, okay. is in six different states, Marcy's Law, my state was actually one of them, uh, which is the is a constitutional amendment to add victims' rights to state constitutions. And it was on the ballot in six different states this year. Uh, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Nevada, North Carolina, and Oklahoma. And uh, Kentucky does not have final results yet, but it passed in the other five. And what does it do again? Uh, 
So this is, it's, it's actually a somewhat controversial amendment in some uh, states. And it, one important thing to remember is that it does, the exact wording of the amendment varies a little bit from state to state. Okay. Um, but in general, it guarantees that victims of violent crimes uh, have a right to be notified about and present at proceedings, a right to be heard at proceedings that involve release, plea, sentencing, disposition, or parole of the accused. Okay. The right to have the safety of the victim and the victim's family considered when making bail or release decisions. The right to be protected from the accused. The right to be notified about release or escape of the accused. The right to refuse an interview or deposition at the request of the of the accused. And the right to receive restitution from the individual who committed the criminal offense. Now, one thing you might notice about all of these is they're all positive rights. Yes. Um, which it makes them a little bit more contentious among libertarians. But it is also a, um, it's a big push that's being put through actually by, I believe, a like billionaire from California who his sister was um, a Vic was murdered. And I think he like ran into his sister's murderer at, like at the grocery store, not realizing that he'd been out on bail. And this kind of started him down this road of, how do victims and victims' families not have any rights when criminals um, and you know the accused have all of these rights? You know, I think I think overall, I think it's good positive legislation. I think it actually, in some cases, and, and you say it's contentious among libertarians, and I understand why because it's more of a minarchist thing as opposed to an anarchist oh, thing. You were not involved but, in the argument we had in North Carolina, over this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it does force the state to actually do some things that they don't do now. Uh, those who listen to the cost episodes are very familiar with. Well, we 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 found the criminal to be you know uh, uh, not. You know, he's not dangerous enough for us. And, right. uh, and so we let him go and they never interview the, the, the victim, you know, <laughs> who had, who, who provided no input. We just talked to him and he said it was cool. So we decided it was cool. It forces the state to actually get off their butt and do something. So this is just food for thought. We have to wrap up because, uh, Zoom's telling me I have like 30 seconds until it cuts us off. So Sarah, well, then be sure to like and subscribe, like and subscribe, go to Patreon, donate. Tell Chris that you love us, whatever it is you do. Good talking to you again, Sarah. Bye.